right, well, we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse, starting in verse 26 this morning. Last week we started a new series, if you weren't with us, on the Holy Spirit. It's called Advantage, the Holy Spirit and You. Uh, and we, uh, we are taking this from John 16, where Jesus actually told the disciples that it would be to their advantage if He went away, because then the, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, would come. And Jesus uh, speaks very highly uh, of what the impact is going to be on the Holy Spirit and the lives of His disciples, um, not just then, but even th- today, some 2,000 years later, uh, the impact that the Holy Spirit is making in the world and in the church. So last week we learned about the promise of His presence and how the Holy Spirit is a person and not a a thing or a thing, uh, but a person, um, and He is God. He is He is deity, and so we call that the Trinity: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three are God. One God, eternally existing in three persons. All three are God. There's only one God. Say, I don't, can't wrap my mind around that. That's okay. He's God, right? And so, but, so that's what we understand about Him as a person and, and, and as being God. And the Bible teaches this profound thing, and that is that He indwells the believer. So we talked about that last week and how that should be making a radical impact on our life because God has taken up residence in the life of the believer today. And so you have the power, um, to live out the Christian life and to obey the commands that God gives you to obey and to walk in victorious Christian living because God has ensured it by sealing you with the Spirit of God. And so today I want to talk about His ministry a little bit. Um, what He's up to. What is the Holy Spirit doing? He's come in power. So what's He up to? We won't be able to cover everything that the Holy Spirit does today. That would take um, really all eternity. But I want to cover the things that Jesus mentions here in John chapter 15 and John chapter 16 uh, today and kind of, to kind of lay a framework for us. We need to know what the Spirit is up to so we can join the Holy Spirit in His work. If you're a believer today, that's the desire the Holy Spirit has placed in you is to be involved in whatever God is doing. Um, that's just a sure sign of His presence. And if we know His desires and we know what He wants, then we can partner with Him in His mission in the world and allow Him to do what He wants to do in and through our lives as individuals. Because He's got a plan for us. And he's got things that He wants us to do and things that He's called us to do. And the Holy Spirit desires our cooperation. Right? The Bible talks about resisting the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about quenching the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. We are to cooperate with and yield to the Holy Spirit. But we can't really do that if we don't really know what the Holy Spirit wants. and what He wants. He has a will, right? And what He wants to do is what God has sent Him to do what the Father and the Son have sent Him to do and to carry out that mission. So look with me in John chapter 15, starting in verse 26. And we're going to go ahead and read all the way through verse 15 of chapter 16. So right there at the very end of chapter 15 is where we'll pick up. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. So in verse 26 there, you see, Jesus says, when the Helper comes, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, and what you see there, that word send, you see that throughout this, Him saying send or sent, Jesus talking of sending or the Holy Spirit being sent multiple times in these chapters. It, this conveys an idea of mission or purpose. That word for send comes from a Greek, Greek word that can also be translated to commission or to appoint. In other words, there's a purpose in His coming. There's a purpose in His being sent. The Holy Spirit, it's not like He just kind of like floats down and He's trying to figure out what's going on in the world and maybe He'll do some things, maybe He won't do some things. What's what's He up to? You know, like He's got a purpose. He's been commissioned. He's been assigned a task and sent with a purpose and power into our lives and into this world. And in verse 26, you really see the, the Trinity at work there. When the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I, Jesus, the Son, will send to you from the Father. So right there in less than a verse, you've got the entire Trinity present all at the same time. And Jesus, He says, will send the Spirit who proceeds from the Father. So you see the Father and the Son involved in this commissioning. And remember, Jesus was also sent. Jesus didn't just come into the world and think, okay, why am I here? He was sent into the world on a mission, right? John 3.17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus came on a rescue mission. Jesus came to save sinners from sin and death and hell, to save us from the wrath of God, to save us from ourselves, to to turn us around, to to change our hearts and our lives, and and to ultimately inaugurate the, the coming of the kingdom of God. And so God sent His Son into the world. God sent Jesus on a mission and with a purpose. The Spirit's work is a continuation of Jesus' mission. He's one like Christ, we learned last week. He's another helper. And He comes to continue the work of advancing the kingdom of God. So the Spirit's not out there doing something different, something unique, kind of got His own thing going. He is working in unity with the Father and the Son to accomplish the purposes of the triune God. And the reason why Jesus could say in um, chapter 14, verse 12, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. It's a pretty bold statement when you consider all the things Jesus has done, right? It's because the Spirit would take Jesus' works worldwide. Jesus didn't mean that we were going to do greater miracles than Jesus did in the sense of better miracles. I, I've never raised the dead. Have you ever raised the dead? I've never been raised from the dead and not accomplished any of those sorts of miracles. But what Jesus meant was is now His ministry was going worldwide. The scope of it was radically changing. It wasn't there were going to be newer and better miracles. It was that it was going to cover the face of the earth that all over the planet you were going to begin to see the church spread and people come to faith in Christ. And so the ministry of Christ was going global. And the Spirit accomplishes that because that's His mission. He's got a purpose. He's got a mission in this world. 
Now, why is it important that we understand that he's on mission, that he's been sent with a purpose? Because if we don't understand his purpose, we'll find it much more difficult to understand our purpose. How can we fully know our purpose and what God wants to do in and through us as believers if we don't understand why the Holy Spirit indwells us in the first place? I mean, that's one of the most critical, important things about you as a believer is that God has put His Spirit in you from the moment you believed. And so it's important to know why He's there and why He's in the world and what He's up to so that we can better understand our purpose. Because God has a purpose for His church and He has a purpose for every believer and that purpose does not run contrary to the Spirit's work. It runs parallel. God's purpose for you and God's purpose for His sending His Spirit, these things aren't in opposition with one another. They run parallel with one another. And the Spirit is here to empower you to do ultimately what God has called you to do. And you're here to work in cooperation with God the Holy Spirit. Warren Wearsby said it this way, The Holy Spirit does not minister in a vacuum. Just as the Son of God had to have a body in order to do His work on earth, so the Spirit of God needs a body to accomplish His ministries. And that body is the church, the body of Christ, right? And so the Spirit works through God's people. As we understand what the Spirit's, that the, what the Spirit's been sent to do, we can better understand how to be used by the Spirit of God for God's glory. Because then we can join with the Spirit in what He's doing. Now, notice the context that Jesus promises this the Holy Spirit being sent. In verses 8, we didn't read it, but in John 15, verses 18 to 25, Jesus is talking about the world's hatred for disciples, for Him and His followers. The world is a difficult and hard place Jesus is preparing them for. That He's going back to the Father and things are about to get really... You think they've been tough now? He's saying they're about to get really tough. Persecution is about to get really real. Resistance to the Gospel is about to get really powerful. And the picture here is one of need, is the context in which Jesus starts talking about the Holy Spirit's ministry. Because we need the Holy Spirit. And the disciples, hearing John 15, and hearing about the hatred that that the world would have for them, and how the world was, in a little bit, He's going to talk about how the world's going to want to put them to death, and all these sort of things. You, you, You feel needy in that moment. You don't want Jesus to go. Because we need the Holy Spirit. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we are in a dark, lonely, and hostile world alone. And Jesus is not telling here rich people how to find another dollar. He's telling poor people how to find bread. He's he's talking to a people who are needy. So a lot of times we think of the Holy Spirit as like some additional, some add-on. And that's not this case at all. Jesus is letting us know that whether you realize it or not, you really need the Holy Spirit because the Christian life is not is going to be really difficult to carry out because people are going to want to kill you in some context. It's not just difficult, it's impossible. You need the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus gives us here kind of uh, three big broad categories here that we're going to look at this morning of the work of the Holy Spirit. Like I said, we're not going to cover everything because there's, we could go to other portions of Scripture and talk about a lot of other things the Holy Spirit does. But there's three big ones that Jesus points out here. The first one is the witness of the Holy Spirit. This is His work with the Gospel. This is His work in advancing the Gospel. He says, He will bear witness about me in verse 26 of chapter 15. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world to testify about Christ and His gospel. The Spirit, he said, would bear witness about Christ. And the Holy Spirit of God bears witness, that means testifies to Jesus, testifies about Jesus. His very presence in the world, in the lives of believers, testifies to the truth of Christ and the fact that Christ is alive. Because Jesus said He would come. And His presence in your life and in my life and in His church as the gospel goes forth, the fact that the gospel continues to go forth, the fact that nothing can stop the gospel, the fact that in other countries they put Christians to death and the gospel continues to expand and to march right through that is a testimony to the work of the 
Spirit, which is a testimony to the validity of who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit and His very presence and work is a witness to Christ and the truth of the Gospel. He's borne witness to Christ through the inspiration of Scripture that the Spirit inspired and the testimonies of believers all around this room and around the world who can testify to how Jesus has changed our lives. You know, in any court case, witnesses are key, right? A witness states, yes, this is true, or no, this isn't true, and here's why, here's what I saw, here's what I know to be a fact and not a fact. A witness helps us to know truth from falsehood, or they should, a good witness. Without a witness, there's some things we can never know. And Jesus is saying here, the Spirit is going to bear witness about me. He's going to testify about me through His presence and through His activity in the world. Now, one of the key ways that the Spirit does this is right there in the very Next part of the verse, verse 27, rather. You will also bear witness because you have been, you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus is telling the disciples, now you're gonna bear witness. You've been with me since I've start, started my ministry, and now you're going to bear witness. And that continues throughout the church age, continues throughout history as every disciple who comes to know Jesus, begins to bear witness about Jesus. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in and through your life. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't just go around walking up and down church aisles shouting to people like, hey, Jesus is real, you should believe in Jesus. He doesn't just go wandering through the mall, through Florida Mall, telling people like, hey, you should believe in Jesus. That's really not at all how He works. He works through you. He works through me. He works through people who open the Word of God and share it, who share a testimony, who share the Gospel with people. He bears witness in and through the lives of believers. This started in Acts. As the believer began to share Christ, and uh, believers begin to share Christ, and people are started getting saved. You remember Peter stands up and preaches Jesus right after Pentecost, after the Spirit comes in power. We said last week 3,000 people got saved. That was the Spirit bearing witness through Peter. This continued as the Spirit bore witness by the inspiration of the Scriptures, right? And so now we, we have the Word of God and we have all these Gospels that, that bear witness and that, that testify to Christ. That's the, the work of the Spirit. The Spirit wrote this book that testifies to Jesus. And this continues today in my life and your life when we live out our faith and when we share our faith with others, the Holy Spirit works to witness or to testify to the truth claims of Jesus. Now, once again, notice the context of this witness. He says in verse 1 of chapter 16, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Why in the world would they fall away? That's kind of a scary... I don't want to fall away. Why, why would they fall away? They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. Jesus is saying it's about to get very difficult. He's once again... He talks about persecution, talks about the Spirit bearing witness in and through the people of God, and then he talks about persecution. He wants them to understand that. People would actually think that they're worshiping God, he says, by killing Christians. That sounds so foreign to the world today. Haven't we evolved so much over the last 2,000 years? Sure, there's nobody in the world that thinks they're offering service to God by killing Christians. Sure there are. And in their day, it was people and it was religious leaders. <laughs> it was people that understood the Torah, that understood the Word of God, but who had, or they thought they had, and who were supposed to be the teachers of the law, but were in fact rejecting the very law of God and rejecting the very Son of God who came to fulfill the law, and thought that they were glorifying God by stopping Christianity because, and Jesus says, here's why, because they don't know the Father nor me. Because if you don't recognize Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the sent one, as God the Son, then you can't possibly know the Father. 
And if you don't know the Father, you won't know the Son, Jesus is saying. And that was true in their day, and it's true in our day as well, as we see false religions and people devoted to death and destruction, thinking that they're doing their God a service by putting people to death. Jesus did not promise us a clean and sterile or a happy and receptive environment with which to carry out His mission. That is not a promise of the New Testament. He didn't ever promise us it would be easy. He didn't ever promise us that it would be rosy. He didn't ever promise us that, that we could get out of bed every day with a, a spring in our step, right? And just think, oh, today is going to be... This is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. He, he didn't promise us that every day was going to begin with a fresh brewed cup of coffee and a smile on our face and the sunrise and, and a hammock to sit in. He didn't promise us those things, did He? No, in fact, it, we're, we're fortunate. We thank God if we have a bed and that we get to sleep in at night and we get to have coffee and we get to have those sort of things. He presents this in the context of a very difficult environment. He, he says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit but you need to understand you're really going to need Him because at times things are going to be really bad, really painful and really difficult. I think some of our brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world understand their need and desperation for the Spirit of God sometimes better than we do. Jesus says, I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. In other words, I'm going away now. But I'm going to Him who sent me, the Father, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, it's to your advantage. It's to your advantage that I go, even though you're sad right now, it's to your advantage that I go away so I can send Him, send a helper to you. And the Holy Spirit's coming in this way has taken the Gospel, as we said earlier, worldwide. The believer has the Spirit of God to empower him or her for life, for ministry in a new and powerful way, in a fresh way. And since Jesus has ascended into heaven, the gospel and the church has exploded across the world. And that's why you see the church springing up in difficult context and booming and going forward because it, it, the success, quote-unquote, of the church's mission has literally nothing to do with the context to which it enters into. It has everything to do with the work of the Holy Spirit and what He chooses to do in any and every context. We have a gospel and we have a mission and we have a message that can fit any context. It's cross cross-cultural in every context because it speaks to every human need. And Jesus says, we're going to need the Spirit to carry out this mission, this witness. You know, in every public building, behind a little pane of glass, there is something there that everybody hopes they never have to use, right? A fire extinguisher. Sometimes, I don't know if they still do this. They used to sometimes they'd have an axe back there. Maybe they've stopped doing that. But um, I don't think we have one. Uh, but we, we have the whole fire extinguisher thing, right? And you hope you never have to go behind the glass and get the fire extinguisher because that means the building's on fire. But everybody, all these public buildings have them. Schools have them. Churches have them. Courthouses have them. You go wherever. You know, there's there's a fire extinguisher somewhere, usually in a visible place and usually close to the fire alarm. And it's there and we hope that we just change it out whenever it expires and that we never, ever, ever use it. If you have one in your home, you're hoping that you never, never, never have to use it because that would mean that you're in an environment now that you had to use it and that was a bad thing. And I think a lot of times we treat the Holy Spirit like that. We have Him... We kind of want him over. We kind of hope we never have to use him. We kind of hope we never are in a context where we really have to solely rely on him. And what we do many times is we retreat from the Spirit's mission and wonder why we never experience the Spirit's power. And we can't retreat 
from what He's been sent to do and expect to ever experience His power in and through our lives. Because it's the very reason for which God has sent Him. And we can't forfeit the one thing over here. The the key thing that God says He wants us to do and God says He wants to happen and wonder why I never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. As believers... We are called to join God in His mission. He has sent His Spirit to bear witness through us. And He longs to bear witness through us. Some only want the Spirit to cheer them up in difficult times, to help them have a worshipful experience in the worship service. But the Spirit Spirit has been sent for so much more than that. So much more than that. He is the one that can empower us to be mightily used by God in advancing the gospel in every context, in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, whatever your context is. No matter the difficult person you're dealing with, no matter the kind of day you've had, God has given His Holy Spirit to you to bear witness in and through your life. The second thing we see is the conviction of the Spirit. Not only the witness of the Spirit, but the conviction of the Spirit. This is His work in the world. This is His work in convicting the lost. He talks about this in verses 8-11. through 11. When He comes, He'll convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world to see people ultimately see their need and come to faith in Christ. He doesn't just bear witness to the truth of Christ. He drives that truth into the human heart, showing people their need and showing people Christ's sufficiency. The word convict there means to reprove or to expose. It, means, it can also mean to prove or to show someone to be guilty. To show something to be true. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts, proves, and reproves. He's the one that exposes so that we know where we stand before a holy God. And if you're here today and a Christian, that means at some point you understood that you were a sinner and you were in need of a Savior and you desired to put your faith in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit to thank for that. Because that does not happen into anybody on the face of the earth apart from the Spirit moving on your heart and on your life. He does the convicting. He does the drawing. He does the converting work in our hearts and in our lives. The Holy Spirit in action is seen in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 and 37. I've spoken about this sermon in Acts that Peter preaches and a few thousand people get saved. This is how Peter, he ends his sermon in verse 36 and verse 37. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then in verse 37 it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? Why were they cut to the heart? You know, people hear this message, people read this Scripture, people see these things and you, you, you open a Bible, you read it, you, you see a billboard, you hear a sermon time and time again throughout the world and people aren't cut to the heart, but these people were cut to the heart. Why were they cut to the heart? The Spirit did that. It wasn't because Peter was just a way better preacher than everybody else. It was because the Spirit chose to use the Word of God to cut them to the heart. To show them their need. And show them what um, where they stood before God. And while as believers, we know our need for Christ, understand, you did not come to see that on your own. Because left to ourselves, we'd still think we're good without Christ. We wouldn't see a need for Christ. You know, if you were, if you were born blind you would not instinctively know your hair color, would you? Some things you could figure out on your own. You could figure out if you've got a big nose or a little nose just by doing that, right? <laughs> you, know, that's, you know, this one feels smaller than this one, so I've got a big nose, right? Or whatever. But your hair color, you just couldn't figure that out on your own because you'd never seen hair color. 
Right? You know you had hair and somebody could explain to you, you have brown hair or you have blonde hair or you have red hair. And then you could kind of understand, okay, there's all these different colors of hair and I've got this particular color of hair and you've got this particular color of hair. But unless someone opens your eyes, unless God gives you vision, you're not ever actually going to be able to experience your hair color. And to really know what it means that you have red hair, you have brown hair, you have blonde hair, whatever the case may be. And we can explain to people their need for a Savior. We can draw diagrams and whiteboard things and share tracts and verses to help people explain. Here, you know, God's over here, and you're over here, and the gospel's here, and Jesus is here. And we can explain and we can diagram it out and help people to understand it to the point that they can get a seminary degree understanding how to explain the gospel to people. But unless the Spirit of God opens their eyes, it's never experiential, it's just truth on a page, it's never truth experienced. And that's what has to happen. That's the conviction that he's talking about. It's the supernatural work of the Spirit of God and the heart and life of a person. That's the only way it goes from being, now what does brown hair mean? To, oh, this is brown hair. That's what it's like when God opens your eyes to see, oh, what does it mean that I'm a sinner? Okay, I'm a sinner. Jesus did this. It's like, oh, no, 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 it's me, right? I need this. And it becomes personal. And if you're not a Christian... What you need even more than every one of your questions answered, and questions are important, and trying to answer them is important, but what you need more than anything, even though you don't know it, is the Spirit's conviction in your life. Do not resist the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not push back against the Spirit of God as He begins to open your eyes to spiritual truth. He says he convicts in three ways concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, he says it's specifically the sin that, of unbelief. It's the Holy Spirit that exposes the fact that we have not believed in Christ and we need to believe in Christ in order to be saved. Sinners have rebelled against God, right? We've replaced God. We've shook our fist at God. We've turned against God and God has sent His Son to save us. But left to ourselves, we'd never believe. We'd simply continue to rebel and continue to replace God in our lives with all sorts of other idols in our lives. It takes the Spirit of God to show us the error of our unbelief. It takes Him to convict us of that. He says righteousness. He convicts of righteousness. He says He does this because Jesus is going back to the Father. See, Jesus is the perfect standard for righteousness. You want to know what righteousness is? You look at Jesus. He never sinned. He lived perfectly right before God. And His righteous life was a constant rebuke to the false religious practitioners and every sinner of His day who were filled with their own self-righteousness. But with Jesus ascending into heaven, the Spirit would now convince people of the righteousness of Christ and our falling short of His righteousness and our need for His righteousness. A righteousness not our own. The Spirit does that work. We don't merely need to know of our unbelief or of our sin. We need to know the standard. We need to know who has met the standard. Has anyone met the standard? And how can I meet the standard? And the Spirit of God does that work in our life by revealing Jesus to us. And then judgment. He says he convicts of judgment because the ruler of this world, he says, is judged. See, Satan is condemned. He stands condemned. And Jesus has rendered him utterly defeated through his work on the cross and through his resurrection. And every person who stands in allegiance with him, every person who stands in unbelief, still held captive by his sway, the Bible says held captive to do his will, will ultimately suffer his fate. Judgment. Wrath. Suffering for our sin. 
The Holy Spirit reveals that to us. But not only that, He also reveals that Jesus was judged for our sins on the cross. Our sins were judged in Him. He was treated as though He was guilty even though He was innocent. That He bore our sins in His body and bore the wrath of God. And the judgment of God was poured out on Him. And in so doing, Satan has been defeated. His stronghold and His grip over us has been defeated. And every person who chooses to trust in Jesus can be free. Free from their sin. Free from guilt. Free from condemnation. And free from the sway of Satan himself and it's the Holy Spirit that reveals that to us. It's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to that and shows us our need for Christ in this situation. He makes this known to the human heart. And when an unbeliever goes from a self-righteous rebel living in unbelief to seeking Jesus as the only true and righteous one who can save them, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not a program That's not a great strategy or a great sermon. That's the Spirit of God. And we can't program it, but we must be faithful to join Him in His work. We must be faithful to do that. See, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts of these things, not us. You can't convict, you can't even truly convince people of the Gospel. You can fill someone's mind, but you and I, we can't change someone's heart. If you're a parent, you're... You are not the Holy Spirit in the life of your child. Your child needs a miracle of God in their life to believe. And you can't produce it. That should make you pray every day for their conversion. Because no matter how faithfully you raise them, no matter how much you pour the Gospel into them, you are utterly powerless to convert them. Only the Spirit of God can do that. You're powerless to do that in your spouse's life. You're powerless to do that in your neighbor's life, your friend's life, your parent's life, your loved one's lives. We're powerless to do that. We need the Spirit to work in that way. And it's real easy to look at those around you that you can't seem to convince of the truth claims of the Gospel and think that you're a failure and not a good witness or not holy enough. But that's completely unbiblical thinking because you have to leave room for the Holy Spirit. Right? Salvation does not come in a can. Right? Wouldn't that be easier? You just open it up and say, here, drink this and it'll all be better in the morning. It doesn't work that way. It's not a formula. But God does use people. But unless the Spirit works, there's no conversion. However, while you can't convict and you can't change heart and you can't save people, we can and should lovingly share the truth of the Gospel. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God that is shared by the people of God to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He uses our lives to glorify God and the way we choose to make choices and the way we live in light of the Gospel to show people the validity of the Gospel. And just because we can't convict doesn't mean we can't have an impact. In fact, we should share being confident that God is looking for us to be faithful, but not to be forceful. I don't have to be forceful. Because I can't force you to do anything. But we have to be faithful. The tension here is the work of the Spirit and the faithful human witness. And on one hand, the Spirit must work and the Spirit must do the work. On the other hand, we must be faithful to allow the Spirit to work in and through us. And it it reconciles this way. We can't be proud because the Spirit does the work. Say, I led four people across this week. Great! The Spirit did the work though. You can't be proud of both of that. At the same time, we can't be lazy because the Spirit uses people. You see what I'm saying? So we need the Holy Spirit to work. 
Holy Spirit longs to use us to do the work. He's not zapping people. He's not poking people in the side. But you know, that, this is, He wants to use you. He can do what He wants to do, but He wants to use you and He's chosen to use you. And God says He will use you. He will use the believer yielded to Him. The third thing we see with the Spirit, we only see His witness and His witness through us. We not only see His convicting power, we also see the guidance of the Spirit. So we've seen His kind of His work with the Gospel. We've seen His work in the world. This is His work in the church. And we see this in verses 12-15. through 15. I have many things to say to you, Jesus says, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of, the truth, of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will declare to you the things that are, com- are to come. Now, Jesus promised that this Holy Spirit would guide or lead them into what He calls all the truth. And we see this fleshed out, the promise of this fleshed out in the New Testament when the disciples begin to write the New Testament and oversee the writing of the New Testament. And that is the chief way, and that is the chief fulfillment of that verse. Understand that. He's leading and teaching and bringing things to remembrance. And that's why the Gospels can be written years after Jesus ascended into heaven. It can be perfectly accurate because the Holy Spirit of God brought things to their remembrance so they could remember conversations and things Jesus said and taught so they could supernaturally be empowered to write this inspired words down on a page that we have all these many years later passed to us. He worked to see that the Scriptures are penned. The, the Scriptures are inspired of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scriptures breathed out by God. How does that work? The Holy Spirit did that. He wrote the book. He wrote the Bible. That's one of the chief things you need to understand. That's why you need to understand as we go through this series that you'll always see the Word of God and the Spirit of God kind of together. Many times you'll see the fruit of being filled with the Spirit and the fruit of being filled with the Word of God are exactly the same. You say, why are they the same? Because He wrote the book. It's His Word. So it makes sense that His Word and that Him produce the same fruit because they work in unison because it's His Word that He has written. And it is the Spirit of God that gave breath to the, to the, to the words of Scripture. But at the same time, at the same time, it's the Spirit of God that helps us to understand and to apply the Scriptures. We call this illumination. When He opens our eyes to see and to behold spiritual truth. Did you know... But you can't genuinely understand spiritual truth apart from the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person, the unsaved person, the person without the Spirit of God, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, he's saying, there's someone you need in your life to help you. Now, it's not saying that you can't read the Bible and go, okay, one plus one equals two. That's not really the point. The point is, the, the deep spiritual truth of being able to take that and apply it to your heart and life where it begins to mean something to you. It begins to get personal to you and you're able to apply it and to believe it's true and to live like it's true. All that sort of stuff only happens by the power of the Spirit. You know, He's our, he's our God in that way. Uh, several years ago, Christy and I went to uh, Savannah, Georgia on a little, on like an anniversary trip. And we, we did the little thing where you, uh, you buy the, the trolley pass and they, it, you get on the little trolley and they ride you around town and before you stop somewhere they're explaining stuff to you as they pass it. This building is this and this feature architecture is this and this is it. Then you get off and you go and you look at all the stuff and then the hour or so later it comes back by, you get on, they take you somewhere else and you listen, they're explaining stuff to you. They're, they're your guide. So, and you're just not walking around Savannah going, well that's a pretty building. 
you're walking around Savannah going, that's a pretty building that so-and-so lived in, and this happened there, and this happened there, and this happened there. It's usually some weird dark story because it's Savannah. But, you know, but you're like, these are really pretty buildings, right? But now you've got information to go with it because you've got a God. But the Holy Spirit's a better God than that. Because He doesn't just say, that's a pretty building. He enables you to open the Bible and actually find what is beautiful. You don't, you don't just open the Bible and go, that building is for this, or this is for this, and this person is this, and this truth is this, but you find the truth beautiful. And apart from the Spirit of God, you'll never find beauty in it. You'll, you might say, oh, that's great literature, but it will not grip your heart, and the beauty of the truth and the beauty of Christ Himself will not grip your heart apart from the Spirit of God doing that. And that's what He does through, it's how He teaches us, through His Word. He helps us to understand spiritual truth and to apply it to our lives. Jesus actually goes a step further. He said, and the aim of His teaching, the aim of all this guidance will be to glorify Me. One commentator I read this week pointed out that Jesus came to do the will of the Father and now the Spirit comes to carry out the mission of Jesus, right? And, and in doing that, He glorifies Jesus. See, we have the Bible today and the Spirit's helping understanding and applied it so that Jesus will be glorified in you and me and throughout all the world. That's why, that's why the Bible ultimately is about Jesus. That's why you can just find Him all in it. You can find stories in the Old Testament that foreshadow and that point to Jesus. And the New Testament, I mean, it's just Jesus, 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 and the implications of Jesus. And, you know, you've got one whole Old Testament pointing to the fact that He's coming and we need Him to come. And a whole New Testament saying He has come and this is what it means and He's coming again. And the whole thing is about Him. Because the Spirit wrote it and the Spirit glorifies Jesus. And in your life, as He teaches you and grows you and matures you, you know what you'll do? You'll begin to glorify glorify Jesus. And the chief way He does that is He makes you more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What's the Spirit doing? Is we behold Christ in Christ's Word. And we behold Him in His beauty in His Word. He begins to transform us from the inside out to be more and more like Jesus. We begin to... Our character changes. Our attitude changes. Our desires begin to change. That's why if you're a believer today and you've been a believer, let's say, for 20 years, who you are today and who you are 20 years ago are not the same person. You might not even recognize the person. You might even be sort of ashamed of the person that you were 20 years ago or 10 years ago or 2 years ago or whatever. Because that's the work of the Spirit of God in your life to change you and to make you more and more progressively like Christ. And then He guides us. The Spirit guides us in the Word to live out the truth of the Word. Galatians 5.16 But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As we walk by the Spirit, walking in the Word, He enables us to no longer gratify our sinful desires. So, in the Bible, you have this divinely inspired book written by the Spirit of God. And in the Holy Spirit, you have a God to help you understand and apply and to live in light of the truth of God's Word. So when we come to the Bible, we come to it as a divinely inspired book, as the very Word of God. And we seek the Spirit's help in understanding and applying it. You should pray when you read the Bible, Father, help me to understand Your Word. Allow the Holy Spirit to, to open my eyes to understand truth in Your Word and to apply it to, to, my, to my life. Might you understand it even if you don't pray that? Well, sure, but why not ask? Why not ask for Him to help you and to teach you as you read the Word or as you sit under the teaching of God's Word? We should seek the Spirit's help. And the Holy Spirit 
will never lead you or guide you to do anything contrary to the Word of God. This never will. What about this? Whatever circumstance you can dream up, He's not going to lead you to see. He's the Spirit of truth. He's always going to lead you to walk in the way of the Word. He's a person with a will, but His will is not at war with, but rather in sync with God's Word. How do I know that? Because He wrote it. Right? <laughs> so He's never going to tell me or lead me to do something different than what He's already inspired to be divinely written. He's not going to say, here, this, and now, but I want you to do this. Uh, Josh, I've given special instructions for every Christian who has ever lived in this book. But for you, things are different. Your circumstances are different. And I want you to know this is true for you. You'd think I'm crazy. You'd think I'm nuts. You'd think I'm a cult leader. But people live their life like that every day. They live their life like that every day. And we come up with all kinds of crazy harebrained ideas that we think God's leading us into. Poor moral choices and all sorts of things that have nothing to do with God and everything to do with us. And we're being led by our flesh and not by the Spirit of God. And I've never met a Christian who comes up with stuff like that who regularly reads their Bible and submits to it. Never. It's always someone who's not in the Word, who's half paying attention, half attending church, half, he's kind of, they're just ho-humly kind of walking through life, checking boxes, and that's the people... Generally speaking, they come up with these crazy things because they're not consistently yielding their life in submission to God's Word and God's Spirit. So today, the question is, first, do you have the Holy Spirit? That's the first question that we all have to answer. We we haven't. We haven't answered it. We haven't went through everything the Spirit, the Holy Spirit does, how He gives assurance of our salvation, how He gifts us with spiritual gifts, how He empowers us for service, how He gives us spiritual life, how He unifies the church body, how He renews and sanctifies the believer. We, we haven't had time to touch on all those things. We, we need the active work of the Spirit of God in our lives. My question first is, do you have the Holy Spirit work in your life? For some of you, His work right now is convicting you of your sin. So that you see your need for Christ and His righteousness so you can escape the judgment that is to come. For some of you, that's His work in your life. He's opening your eyes to your need for the Gospel and for Christ and to rest and to trust in Him. And So don't push Him off. Don't, don't resist Him. Submit to Him. Surrender to Him. Believe the Gospel. Turn from your sin and embrace what Christ has done. And for every believer... For every one of us, the question for us today is, am I yielded to Him? Am I seeking Him? Am I running to or from situations that He wants to empower me in? Am I willing to cooperate with Him into making me into the witness that He wants me to be? Do I live like I have access to the divinely inspired Word of God? Do I treat it as such? Do I seek the Holy Spirit's help and understanding and applying it? Do I seek His help in living in light of His Word and His Gospel? The Holy Spirit is at work. He's at work all over the world today and in churches all over the world and in our church. And We should be praying constantly, Lord, work in us. Work in me. Work in my heart. Work in our church. Do something here. Do something in such a way in my heart and in my life and in this church that, that I can only be explained by Your Spirit and the power of Your Spirit. Not by our power, not by our might, but by Yours. That should be our prayer. Because when He does it, Jesus always gets all the glory. And that's what we really want.